Today, though, I'd like to share with you um, what I call Invest 2014. It's the beginning of the new year about how we're going to invest our life, how we're going to, what we're going to do this year that uh, makes a difference in our world around us. And, and every day as I leave my house over, in, over uh, on Seth Court, over in, over in Fondle Farms, and drive down, drive down uh, Fondle Lane and uh, drive down past the elementary school, every day I'm reminded of something. Uh, because I remember 11 years ago, 11 plus years ago when I first came here, and Great Oaks was a church that was meeting at that time in the elementary school, uh, in the Brown School, okay? We were meeting there. And I remember those days of 125 to 130 people meeting there, setting up stuff, tearing down stuff, doing all those things. I remember those days 11 years ago about what God was doing then and having no idea what God was going to do eventually in the life of Great Oaks Community Church. And looking back those many years ago and looking at what he's done over the last 11 years, I'm going like, wow, God, you've done amazing things. You've grown us uh, You've, you've helped us to reach people for Christ. Uh, now we have a, a nice facility to, to meet in because uh, we, we moved from the elementary to the middle school and eventually here about seven years ago. And um, as we went through that process, I'm thinking about if God did that in the last 11 years, what might the future hold? What might the future hold? Because so often we think, you know, well, we're now, we're now in our church building. We're, uh, we've kind of arrived. But I don't think God is finished with us yet, to tell you the truth. Because the thing we have to always focus on, and we've always focused on in the life of the church, is, is our purpose. What is the purpose? We don't have to make up our purpose because God gives us, give it to us. Uh, it says in, uh, in Proverbs 19.21, it says, Many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevails. And we can make all kinds of plans, but God ultimately, the church is, ultimately has a purpose. And our purpose, we can see from Scripture, is to help people love God and to love people. It, that's as simple as you can get it. We keep saying it over and over and over. Our purpose as a church is to help people love God and to love people. And that comes out of a, a verse in the Matthew 22. It's called the Great Commandment where Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God says our purpose is people. And the church is not a building. The church is, is you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the church, our purpose in life is to love God and to love people. And so our purpose as a church is to help people do that. And, and our mission and part of that purpose is to help people take their next step towards God. Uh, we've talked about that constantly as well. Help people take their next step towards God. Because not only did the great commandment tell us that we're to love God and love people, but the great commission says that we're to take next steps in our process. It says that Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So there's steps along the way. And so all of us have a next step. And so as we look at what we do as a church, one of the things we've been very, very just focused upon over the years is this. We don't do anything as a church that doesn't help people take their next step towards God. Because everybody has a, a next step. But I want to challenge us today to think beyond the walls of this church because as our mission is to help people take their next step, I'm reminded in Scripture, it's very clear in Scripture that, that we are not just about bringing people in. Our purpose is not just to bring people in. Our, our purpose as a church in Scripture, is, and I'll talk about this in the Scripture in a second, our purpose is to bring people in, to, to build them up, but then to do something else, then to send them out. 
Because Jesus says in Matthew 9, 20, uh, this is said m- multiple times in Scripture, but in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, this is, what, this is a description of what Jesus says the church is to be. It says, Jesus, this is what he did. And, and as a, a follower of Christ, you know what a Christian is? It's a little Christ. It's a person who's like Christ. And if we're going to be like Christ, we need to follow his plan. And this is what Jesus did. It says, Jesus, he did what? He went. He didn't say, y'all come. Okay, that's my southernism, I know. Or he didn't say, you guys come, or whatever you want to say. He said, he, he went. It says he went. He went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And then he said, this is what he did. As he went, he saw this. this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, and this is, this is kind of the commission for, another commission for the church. He says this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he says this. Ask the Lord. This is what I want you guys to pray about. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The purpose of the church has never, ever, ever been to build buildings and tell people to come. You're going like, really? No, it's never been that. The purpose of the church as people is to reach people for Christ, to build them up, and to send them out into the world. And if we don't do that, we lose our focus, and it's so easy. Let me tell you, folks, we live in a world, in America, where we have lots and lots of churches. You you probably drove by a dozen churches coming to church here today, right? Probably. But did you know that the church in America is losing ground in regards to reaching people for Christ? There are less people coming to church today in America than there was 10 years ago. We're going the wrong direction, so we've got to get, get out of this mindset. It's not about just building buildings and, and, and getting people to come. It's about us going out into the world because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we're to do as well. And, and you know, it's interesting, that word where he says he send, send out workers. The word send out is a, is a Greek word, ekbalo, and it means to eject, to cast out, to expel. It says that, you know, what Jesus said, he said, I want, I want, we need workers for the heart. Do we, do we need, does people need the gospel in our world today? You better believe it. Folks, right now, we are in a crisis time, in a sense, in our area right here. I, you know, the tornado was just, it was a crisis. It was, it was a catastrophe. But it just brings to mind the fact that, that this, this is an ongoing process in our lives. We have an opportunity right now that the great easiest time to reach people for, crisis, uh, for Christ is when they're going through crisis. Because they're more open to the gospel. They're more open to the things that God, uh, of things in their life. And we're at a time where we need to be aware that people are searching for something. And sometimes they don't know what it is. But they're not necessarily always going to show up at church. And so that's why we have to go out into the community and, and, and to reach people for Christ. And see, that's the, that's the fundamental difference between the message that I'm sharing today and the message of the American church. Because so, so often what we do is we say we build a building and we say, y'all come. Come on in. And when people don't show up, we don't understand why. Because that's never been the message. The message is not about building a building, having people show up. See, I, I know that's true because so often I hear people... And I'll say it. I hear people that come and they're going like, that uh, uh, we'll say people like, where do you go to church? You ever ask anybody that? Where do you go to church? And they'll say something like this. Well, I'm just kind of church shopping right now. I'm kind of church shopping right now. And I, when I hear that, I go, ah. 
Because this is this consumer mindset. You know, the church is for me. The church is there for me. And so the thing is that I'm looking around for the perfect church. And when I get there, I'll find it. It might be the right size. Either the church is too big or too small. So when I find it, it's the right size. But I want to tell you, if you find the right size church, what I want you to pray is this, that that church will reach nobody else. Because if they does, it'll grow. And you won't like it anymore. And you'll have to shop some more. The reality is that the church is not for us. If you are a Christian, you are the church. And the church is for the world. We are here for the world. And so we have to get past this. And so this morning, I want to share with you three rules that will determine our future. These are three rules that we've always based our our church upon, our understanding of how we do church but I want to share with you these this morning. If you have a bulletin, you have an outline in there. You can fill in the blanks if you kind of like to do that. If you don't like to do that, just ignore the bulletin and, you know, just whatever you want to do. Uh, but I just shared this in there. There's three rules that will determine our future. The first rule is this. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we need to break the rules. We need to break the rules. You're going to like, well, pastors, I mean, you go out and speed this afternoon. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about those kind of rules. I'm not talking about, you know, breaking the rules, going 90 miles an hour down, down 116. And that's not the rule I'm telling you to break it. If you go out there and do that and get pulled over by a policeman, do not say, Pastor Bill told me I could break the rules. Okay? Just simply this because I want to be very clear about the rules. I'm not talking about traffic laws. I'm talking about breaking the rules, the man-made rules that are barriers to what God wants us to do. Because there are some rules, some unspoken sometimes, but some spoken rules too, that causes us not to do the thing that God wants us to do. Do you know that Jesus broke the rules in his day? If you don't believe me, look over in John chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. And I'm not going to read this whole verse here, but the, the verse says this. So because Jesus was doing these things, what was he doing? He was, he was doing things that was opposed to the rules, the unspoken rules, or really the spoken rules of the Pharisees. He was breaking some rules. He was not doing the Sabbath the way that they thought the Sabbath should be done. And so if you read that verse, Jesus broke the rules. He broke the rules of the Sabbath that were according to, the, to his day. Jesus broke lots of rules, not only the Sabbath rule, but he did other, breaking un, other rules. In that day and age when Jesus lived and he walked amongst the people, one of the things you did not do, there were people of different classes and different types of people considered unclean. And Jesus touched unclean people. He went out with people, he, he, he encountered people that were different than him, that people would consider, you know, the lowlifes or whatever, and he went and, and, and sought them out. He would go to parties with people like that. And we're going, no, no, as Christians, we've got to stay away from that kind of stuff. No. Jesus did it. How many non-Christians do we know as believers? Or do we have our little holy huddles? And our little small groups, and all we do is we never invite anybody. And let me challenge you, everybody who's in a small group, you need to invite somebody who's non-Christian to your group. It'll, it'll change the dynamics of your group in about five minutes. Because we'll have questions about stuff that you don't know how to answer. But the issue is you'll be doing the, the work of Christ because Christ tells us to reach out to people, to, to, to be concerned about those people. Jesus broke the rules. He talked to prostitutes. Do you know that in the Scripture? Jesus did that? He would go out and do those types of things. And who did Jesus choose as his primary leaders? He chose religious people, right? No! It says that he chose ordinary, it's what it says in Scripture, ordinary unschooled. You know what the Greek word there that's used for that? It's the word idiotos, or idiotase. You know what, it kind of gets what it comes from. It's the word idiot. So welcome to Great Oaks, where you can be an idiot for Christ. 
See, we have to break some rules that are man-made. Jesus began the process, but not only Jesus, but did you know that many, many years ago, uh, the Reformation started because a guy named Martin Luther decided to break some rules. You know the rule it was in that day? That only the clergy could have access to Scripture. That nobody else could handle Scripture if you were not a clergyman. And along that same time, you know, Gutenberg kind of decided how to figure out the printing press thing, and so he figured out they could actually put the scripture in people's hands. And so the first, uh, Martin Luther did that. He was, he was chastised. He was thrown out of the church at that time because of what he did. He broke the rules. Guess what today? Today, the reason that you have a Bible or even an iPad or a phone or whatever it is that you have with the scripture on it is because somebody was willing to break the rules. The rule that was hindering people from having scripture in their hands. John Wesley. John Wesley was a guy who many, many years ago... Uh, he, he was uh, not allowed to preach in the Church of England. And it was interesting because in that day, it was considered that preaching was only something that was to be done within the four walls of the church. I don't know where that came from, but it was just one of those rules. And when he went to try to, at St. Andrews to try to preach, and he went to the doors and they knocked on the door and he said, Can I, I want to preach, God has called me to preach. And guess what they said? No, you can't preach, you're too radical. Your message is too radical. So what did he do? He didn't quit. He broke the rules. He went outside into the cemetery where his father, father's grave was. He stood upon his father's grave and he preached the message, you must be born again. It began a preaching ministry that he preached all over the world. He preached approximately um, uh, 40,000 sermons. He rode 250,000 miles on a horse. And he reached 150,000 people came to know Christ because he broke a rule. He broke a rule that was ridiculous that, that the only place that the gospel can be preached is in a church building. He broke some rules. And I believe we need to break some rules. Let me share it with some rules I think we need to break. If we're going to do what God calls us to do. Number one is this. We must break the church competition rule. The church competition rule. Let me just say this. Churches are led by people. Pastors are people, right? I'm a person. I don't know. I don't, there's not a different, you know, differentiation. I don't care if you came from the Catholic background. Guess what? P- priests are people too, okay? But the reality is we're, and we're not always, the, you know, sometimes the problem is, is we have this church competition thing. And so we don't work together too well. You think that we're all in this game together, Right? But if we're going to do the things that God wants us to do and we keep trying to do it on our own without, without working with other people, if we're to be effective, we need to partner with anybody, any other churches that, that believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. They might not be exactly like us, but we need to partner with them. Over the last few years, we've been partnering, trying with Youth for Christ. We've been trying to partner with other churches. We've been trying to do those things. But let me tell you, if we're going to be effective in reaching people for Christ and we're going to quit losing ground as the church, we've got to quit competing with each other. See, we'll partner with anybody who will allow us to expand the kingdom of God. And and along with that's another rule. We must break the rule that says, has to say, our name must be on it. (laughs) You know, every ministry that we do at Great Oaks and we send resources to and water doesn't have to say Great Oaks. If it reaches people for Christ, you know, I don't care what it says on it. But we've got to get past this whole pride thing about it's all about us. We have to break that rule that has to have our name on it. It doesn't have to have our name on it. Sometimes not having our name on it will be more effective than having our name on it. 
People have learned that over, you know, over the last few years. You know why there's now community churches? You know why? Because a lot of denominational names have baggage attached to them. I was Baptist in Virginia. Southern Baptist, okay? It's not just any old Baptist. I was Southern Baptist, okay? Now, it's kind of weird to be a Southern Baptist in Nebraska or something. I don't know how that works. But, you know, that's part of the deal. But you know that m- most people that are starting new churches that are Baptist don't have the name Baptist on it. You know why? Because there's so much baggage attached to it that it causes people to go like, well, ba- ba- Baptist churches, man, they're crazy bunch of people. You know, they do all this weird stuff. That pe- pastors. I'm an average Baptist pastor, okay, just to let you know. And if I'm too weird, why are you here? Uh, so the thing is, but the thing is, is that there's all this baggage attached, and sometimes it's, it's almost detrimental to have the name attached, so why do we have to do that? We have to do whatever. To, you know our denomination that we're in right now? I mean, some of you don't even know this. I bet you don't even know this. That when I came here 11 years ago, this was not called the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. We do belong to a denomination. The Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, we were called the Evangelical Mennonite Conference. Mennonite? When I came, I didn't know that. They kind of you know, drew me, sucked me in. I didn't know Mennonite. My idea of Mennonite was, was people who, you know, who wore black, you know, black outfits, you know, and drove, drove buggies or something, you know. I thought it was Amish or something, you know. That was my idea. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. It just wasn't me. So the deal is, is we got to get past that, you know, we got to have our name on it rule. If it's going to, if it's going to bring the, the gospel of Jesus Christ forward, we have to get to deal with it, Okay. Another rule, and this is a rule that just drives me crazy because if we think about it, what it does, it, it, this, rule, this rule just caters to our lowest nature. And that is the rule is this. If we build it, they will come. That we have to build gigantic church facilities to reach people for Christ. And we have these huge church facilities that sit around all week long. And some of them are active and busy and things like that. I'm not saying we can't build church facilities, but so often what we do is we think the only way to reach people for Christ is to build, you know, is to build giant church facilities. This is about it here at Great Oaks, folks. We might build a little bit more, but we're not looking at building 16 stages of a building, okay? Because we believe here at Great Oaks that this is a, we need to be minimalist in regard to how we approach facilities because we want to take the resources that we have, we want to free them up to send them out into the community and to the world to reach people for Jesus Christ. And we want people to realize, hey, you guys, these, these chairs are, they're, they're not, you know, they're not, you know, we, we thought about, you know, lazy boys, but you guys would be too, way too laid back, you know, and things like that. But the issue is, is that, you know, we, this idea that you have to just build bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And do all this to draw people. Don't you realize that that caters to the lower nature of people? It's all about me. Just think about it for a few minutes. Now, the thing is, is we have to understand, we have to break that rule. Another rule we have to break, and I know this is not necessarily a rule that we worry about too much here, but we sometimes do, is the technology is evil rule. Now, for the older generation, and I'm considered older, okay, by the way, I'm older, uh, the technology is evil. Sometimes we don't understand how technology works. And sometimes I just, just fight with staff about this. Because social media, I'm just going like, oh, it's evil. Shh. It's not evil. Okay? It's reality. And while, and while some of you think this is communication with your thumbs, you know, doing that, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, texting and all the other things you do now, tweeting and 
I, I don't do that, okay? I text occasionally because I don't, and, and it, I don't do it much because it takes me too long, you know? And while I may not consider it communication, I know that a whole, this whole generation that considers that real communication, so we have to leverage that technology. I understood that this past week when I was trying to make a decision about, which, which wasn't hard, about having church or not and how to get the information out. It's changed in 11 years, totally. Okay, guys? Do not look on TV. It takes way too long. I spent an hour calling, trying to call the TV stations, and I had their number. Just look on our website or call a church office, and it'll be there. It'll tell you what's going on. Don't worry about anything else, okay? And pretty soon, if you gave us the good information, which we asked for you a while ago, we'll put you on it, and we'll send it out to you immediately, just like the school does, and give you all kind of annoying things that you really don't want to hear about, right? You know, market day, okay. Uh, <laughs> Some of you don't have kids in school don't understand what it's talking about. People in school have text for everything now, you know, emails, but everything, you know, things you don't even care about, you know. So anyway, we'll try to filter those things. But we got to do, and I realized something a few years ago, that people build relationships different. We need to leverage that, that technology. It reminded me a few years ago, and I'll still never forget this. My son, uh, he's now 25 years old, uh, working for Edward Jones, uh, <laughs> It's hard to imagine that. It just, it just blows my mind away. But uh, I remember he, he's a big gamer, okay? Big gamer. Doesn't do much of it anymore. Don't have time. But uh, used to be a big gamer. Online, multiplayer, games, you know, you know, playing games, killing people, doing stuff like that online. Uh, I tried to get him not to do that, but he said, oh, that is not nothing. I don't really believe that, you know, whatever. And, but he would, over, over a two-year period, he had this whole, and it was one of these things where you have a team. I didn't know this worked this way. You had this whole team of people that he would, like, it's his team, and they'd go and fight other people, you know, stuff like that online. And he was with this team of people, and they were from all over the world. He had a kid from China. He had a kid from, kid from Chicago. He had all these different people, and he built this relationship with his team, and they weren't even physically in the same location. And then one day, he comes to me, and he says, Dad, he's like 19 years old, which is old enough to make a decision on his own. And he comes to me, Dad, he says, Dad, I'm going up to Chicago to visit my friend, one of my teammates. I said, do you know anything about this guy? He said, yeah, Dad, I've had a conversation with him for two years. We talk about everything. I said, but you've never met him. He could be a serial killer. <laughs> and he going, no, I know that I've talked more to him than anybody else in this world. And so he ended up going up to Chicago to visit this guy he'd never met face to face. As a parent, I was terrified. Prayed the whole time. And I'm going, but he built a relationship that way. Now, I would have never considered that. Some of you would never consider. Some of you think, oh, that's what's weird about that. See, we need to leverage that, the social, this whole thing. We, and we're trying to do that as a church to understand that better about how people communicate and how people connect with people. And the new world looks different. It doesn't mean, it means that eventually we may have video campuses. You know, people can actually connect with people that way. We have to leverage that. It's not evil. So we have to break and, Rule number one is we need to break the rules. Rule number two, we need to believe this. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we need to believe God for the impossible. We need to believe God for the impossible. You know what? In Mark chapter 10, verse 27, it says this. Jesus said, he looked at them and he said, with the man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Let me ask you two questions this year. Two questions to think about. Number one, who do you think will never never come to Christ. Who do you know that you think will never come to Christ? They're just too far gone. 
I would challenge you this year to pray for that person because nothing is impossible with God. You may not be able to convince that person, but God can change that person's heart. We've got to believe God. I believe this year that God can reach people that we believe are impossible for him to reach if we will simply focus our attention upon praying for those people and encouraging and investing our lives in those people. And question number two, what do you think, what do you think that God will never do? You're going like, well, maybe redeem my marriage? Help my child to get back on track? Help me to get through whatever I'm going through? What is it you think that God will never do? I would challenge you to pray and ask God to do the impossible. Because one of the things we so often do in a church is we simply sit around and, 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 and let me tell you, this church is so blessed with leaders. Oh my gosh, I have never been in a church that has so much leadership ability. And I'm saying that not just to build you guys up, but it's, it's the truth. But the, the curse of that is this. Because we have so much ability, sometimes we don't depend upon God as much as we should. And there's some things that we need to depend upon God for that only God can do. And there's some situations that only God can redeem. And so I would say that this year, one of the things we have to do and continue to do is believe God for the impossible. One of the questions that so often I'm asked is this, you know, well, Bill, what is, what is a church or are we believing God for as a church, as a big church? Well, let me share with you some personal things and some things that we've been talking about that we believe God for. We believe this, that mature churches, a church is mature, and we believe we're a mature church. Mature churches reproduce and bless others. Mature churches reproduce and bless others. Mature human beings reproduce and bless others. And as a church, we do that as well. And so one of the things that I've been praying about and I've been encouraging us to think about, and I'm going to put a number on it at this point, is I believe that God has called us to plant five new churches within the next five years. Five new churches in the next five years. Be a part of planting five churches. and not all, We don't necessarily have Great Oaks name on it or anything like that. But I believe that as a mature church, we have the ability to plant five churches in the next five years. And they're going like, well, how are we going to do that? I don't know. But I'm going to trust God in that because he's planted it. And I've, not, I've not stopped thinking about that for the, over the last, last year and a half. And I've looked at all kinds of opportunities and partnered with people. We're already in the process. And I'm not talking about just locally because it could be local, it could be regional, it could be international. One of the first churches that might be planted is in Spain. We already, we're already part of the way down the road toward that. But the issue is, is how he's going to do it. And, and let me tell you, the biggest barrier to ch- planting churches is, no, there's two barriers, resources and leaders. And I'm going to share with you in a few minutes how we can free up resources. And, and, and I don't know about the leader thing. It's going to have to emerge. And I think there's people sitting right here, right now, that could be leaders of future churches. I believe that. Because we have incredible leaders here. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to immeasurably to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. God wants to do more than we can even imagine. And let me tell you, some of you guys got some big dreams. But God can do even more. So, so I, I just want to trust God. I want to start praying. God, you know, you want us to do this. You want us to be a mature church who, who is totally unselfish. And in doing so, we want to free up the resources that we have to be able to reach people beyond our, in our community and, and, and throughout the world. And we can do that. We can do our part, but God's going to have to do the impossible things.
And we have to trust him for that as well. The third, the third, thing, the third uh, rule I think we need to do is redefine success. We need to redefine success. You know, if we look at, you know, how do we always define success in churches? Numbers, right? And looking at the numbers, let me just tell you, this last year was great. 11% increase in attendance at Great Oaks in this past year, just one year, 11%. 20% increase in giving in the midst of all the chaos we've had. I'm going, like, that's pretty cool. But that doesn't really matter as much as it is what Jesus says. You know, John defines success, I think, in the Christian life. John the Baptist the best. He said it in John chapter 3, verse 30. He said, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Success is less of us and more of him. Success is not making the name of Great Oaks Community Church great. It is making the name of Jesus great. Success is not about how much money we can raise as a church. or Success is about how much we can give away to carry out God's purposes in the world. Success is not about how many people we have sitting in rows on a Sunday morning or over in our children's area on a Sunday morning. Success is about how many people we can bring in, build up, and eject, send out into the world. That should be our measurement of success because that's a biblical measurement of our success. Where is success in our church? Let me tell you, I, you know, it sounds like, you know, you know, from the numbers standpoint, we're doing great. But real success is in the story sometimes you have to search for, you have to look for. Success is when, when there's a high school student who decides he's going to reach some of his ki- uh, friends for Christ and he decides to invite them over to a Bible study uh, and to watch football and have a Bible study on a Sunday afternoon. Success is when there's a couple in the church who, who has a vision for, for developing this, this, this community resale store, which is going to be developed, and, and taking the, the proceeds from that and, and, and begin to, to dump it back into the community to do things that, that cannot be done generally. And a lot of it is to help student ministries and other things in the community. Uh, success is when there's a, there's a person who plays in our band, not one of the ones up there this morning. And, you know, you're going like, well, that's cool. He, he volunteers here. But he goes and, and volunteers with a prison ministry to, to reach people for Christ out there. He goes, he goes out. He's ejected into the community. Success are those kinds of stories. And I could go on and on and on. And I realize the time and I don't have time to go on and on and on. But the reality is, is that God wants us to do those type of things. It means that we have to be incredibly unselfish people at Great Oaks in the coming year. So I want to share with you as we close this one thing. I share with you that the, the, the one thing, there's two things that we need to do. We need to find leaders, leaders for, the, for the things that God wants us to do. And the other thing we have to do is free up resources. A few years ago, a few years ago, um, when we built this facility, um, really nice facility, we did it, we did it really really inexpensively compared to most church facilities, hugely inexpensively. And we've been paying off that, that debt for the last uh, seven, eight years, nine years, something like that. And we're close to paying it off. We're right now 39 months away from paying off the debt on this facility. But you know how much the debt on this facility costs us every year? Approximately 25% of our total income every week. Okay. Approximately 25%. We pay annually, uh, we pay annual, or annually $196,000 in debt retirement. Almost $200,000. Our overall budget is around $800,000 a year. 
So 25% of our budget income goes toward just paying off the debt. We realize that when with debt is paid off, guess what's going to happen? We're going to free up 25% of our resources, and I've been encouraging us not to spend it on ourselves. We will do upgrades to things. We'll do the things we need to do around here, but we'll free up resources to plant churches, raise up leaders, do community ministries, do all those things that God wants us to do. And I believe, I believe that God wants us to do it quicker than 39 months from now. If we continue to pay our current out of our, out of our budget, what we pay right now at the end of 2014, January 1st, 2015, we'll owe $445,000 on our debt. We have approximately 330 families. Those of you who are math guys, you'll figure this out real quick. 330 families that come to Great Oaks on a regular basis on any given week, okay? You divide that by, by the number. That means that if every family in Great Oaks would commit... For just one year, just one year, $1,350 by January 1st of next year, our debt would be paid off. And we'd free up 25% of our resources to minister to people in the community and beyond. Now, I believe that's an attainable goal, and God wants us to free those resources up. I understand that $1,350 for a year, that's $110 a month, something like that, $26 a week. I've done the math. I realize for some of you that's a huge push. For others of you, you, write, you could write a check for half of it right now. I don't know all your resources, but I know some of you. But see, the thing is, is that we challenged the church years ago to do that, and we had about, uh, about 75 families that pledged a pledged million dollars over three years to help pay down our debt and make us only have the debt we have right now that many years ago. If we would commit to, and then, so I'm going to tell you what, you're, you're going to get in the mail this coming week, a letter with a detailed description of this, along with the commitment card that looks like this. And it's called Invest 2014. And what I want you to do is to pray about what would God want you to do. Continue to give if you're regularly being given to Great Oaks, but what could you invest in Great Oaks for one year? It could be a one-time gift, could be a monthly gift, could be a weekly gift, whatever it could be, to help us get rid of the debt so that we can do the things that God wants us to do in this community and beyond. And so that on January 1st, and maybe even before... Uh, Next year, we can celebrate together that God has done this, and now we have the resources to do things that we've only been dreaming about for a long time. I believe it's, a, I think it's, it's doable. I know it's doable. But the question is, what are we going to invest our, ourselves in, in this coming year? Are you going to invest in praying for your friends that are lost and believe that God can do things that, that only he can do? Are you going to invest your resources in in, in, this, in this church so that we can do the things that God was calling us to do. Planting churches in Spain, planting churches uh, in the communities around here that need, there is lots of communities around here that do not have a church like Great Oaks. I'm not saying it's going to be called Great Oaks, but a church that's reaching families and people for Christ. And who are we going to partner with? We're talking, I'm talking with a couple of different groups to do that as well, that we could partner with. It'll help us with that whole process. They've been doing this for a number of years. And God has all kind of doors that are opening to us all the time. We just have to take our focus and go that way for this coming year. So I encourage you, pray about this when you get that letter. And if you want to pick up one of these cards and pray about it specifically, they're laying out, some of these cards are laying out on the Welcome Center. Uh, but you will receive, if we have your information, you will receive the 330 families that we do know that go to Great Oaks that we have information about. You will receive a letter this week with a card in there. And I'd like you to pray about that for the next couple of weeks and then return those cards uh, and I'll be talking about this some more over the next couple of weeks, okay?
God has great things for us to do. He's, he's already doing great things through Great Oaks. It's exciting to see the families up here dedicating their kids to Christ. It's exciting to see in a couple of weeks doing baptisms. It's exciting to see those things. But God wants us to do the things to, to invest in this community and invest in this world. And he's given us the resources to do that. Let's do it in 2014. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.